This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Carl Dolan. Carl Dolan is the Director of Transparency International's EU office in Brussels. Carl, maybe before we talk about uh, things like tax evasion, tax avoidance, maybe for the benefit of our listeners, a few words about what TI, Transparency International, does broadly and what the Brussels office, the EU office, does in particular, please. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, Transparency International is the uh, leading NGO in the fight against corruption worldwide. Um, we've been doing that now for about 22 years. Um, and our office in Brussels was set up uh, about uh, six years ago. Uh, and uh, we, we advocate or lobby the EU institutions for anti-corruption reforms, anti-corruption legislation, transparency legislation, uh, and also keep an eye on the transparency of the, and decision-making in the EU institutions themselves. Okay, well we'll see how much we can squeeze into this conversation in the next 10 minutes or so, but we, I think we have to talk uh, first, given its topicality, about the so-called Panama Papers, these revelations about uh, pretty wide scale, on a global scale, tax evasion, tax avoidance, if you like, but certainly tax evasion uh -huh. by all sorts of individuals, organizations across the world. Yeah. I mean, for you, what you said uh, on the back of the, the revelations very recently that uh, the EU has a, a narrow window in the next six months to, to lead the way. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, uh, well maybe let me take a step back uh, first, yeah. uh, Paul, because, uh, uh, as you said, uh, these are revelations to some people, but in fact there are no revelations to anybody who's been working in the anti-corruption community. Uh, time and time again, when we've been looking at or investigating the behaviours of you know, kleptocrat oil ministers in Africa or Ukrainian oligarchs, uh, we try and funny, follow the money trail and uh, very often we hit a dead end uh, in doing so and that dead end is usually located uh, in a tax haven uh, and it is usually uh, a dead end that ends with a, uh, a shell company or a trust which is incorporated in that tax haven. Um, so that is one of the major problems in, in detecting corruption or in, or in, uh, in preventing corruption is that uh, the, uh, there is the, the trail of money is disguised by these anonymous shell companies, this layering of anonymous shell companies, uh, often incorporated in these tax havens. Um, and so we've been thinking for a long time about what to do about this. One of the main things you can do uh, is you can uh, say to the companies and the governments that incorporate these companies, okay, that's fine, but you need to record who is the natural person who benefits from these companies. Yeah, not the, the, the nominee directors, not the, uh, the, the people who've been, uh, who are on paper the people who run the company. Who is the real person who benefits from this? Yeah. Uh, and you record that and then you make that public uh, so that organizations like us or journalists uh, can have a look at that information. Uh, so this, uh, these are called, uh, in the jargon, uh, public registers of beneficial ownership. Right. And this is something that we campaigned very heavily on uh, in the EU about two years ago when they were uh, reforming the anti-money laundering directives here. Uh, and I'm very happy to say that uh, we were partially successful there. So uh, last year, uh, the EU agreed that uh, every EU country uh, would set up, would be obliged to set up these uh, registers, um, uh, and they would be open to anybody with a legitimate interest. Yeah, 
that's left undefined. Now, we think a person with a legitimate interest, of course, would be our organization in Ukraine trying to follow the assets of the Yanukovych. Right. Uh, but maybe the German government disagrees with us. Yeah? In any case, all of, this, uh, all of this disagreement could be put to one side if uh, governments around Europe said, OK, we're going to make this information fully public. Uh, and in the next six months, it's the end of the implementation process for the, uh, for the directive. I so uh, they can, they, every EU government can do that. The UK has already pledged to do it. Uh, David Cameron has been a recent convert to the anti-corruption cause and uh, uh, is very keen to press forward with this. The Dutch have also committed to do this. Uh, so it's just up to the other 26 to follow in their footsteps. Well, as soon as you mentioned people like David Cameron and uh, his government and the Dutch government, I mean, yeah. my sense, although I may be wrong, and you can put me right if I am wrong, is that is, this is no longer an issue just uh, totally colonized by the NGO community like, like Transparency International. It seems to me that you're making significant headway with the, with the politicians. Um, do, you, do, do you agree with that, that politicians realize now that urgent action needs to be taken? There is, as you hinted, yeah. uh, this major conference, Cameron's organizing anti-corruption mm -hmm. in May in London and other initiatives in the OECD. Do you, do you see a kind of turning point on the political side, on, on, our, on behalf of our political masters? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the conference is very important, of course, and uh, whenever a very senior politician like David Cameron gets behind these issues, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a promising sign and it's, it's, it's good for us. But we, we have to be careful uh, because... Uh, um, what we've seen all around Europe is that because of the concern that most citizens have about corruption in the political system, corruption in the financial system, uh, politicians are eager to play the anti-corruption card. So leaving aside David Cameron for a moment, if right. you look around Eastern Europe, for example, every new government that comes to uh, power says, we're going to do something about corruption. Right. Uh, and they've been doing that for 10, 15 years. And yet, uh, all the signals we're getting, all the measures that we use, say the the situation is stagnant. It's not improving. Uh, so, uh, and in that case, in that area, so what are the, where are the most egregious, the worst examples of corruption? You can include obviously tax evasion in that in that yeah. definition, but more broadly, where. Not necessarily in which countries or which political parties are the most guilty, but if you want to mention that, that's up to you. But what are the most egregious examples of corruption still pre prevalent in, in Western democracies, never mind uh, other parts of the world? Well, uh, the be one of the best measures of this is uh, Transparency International's Corruption Perceptions Index. So right. We look at uh, how corrupt public institutions of countries are perceived to be. Um, by experts around the world. Uh, and if you look at the EU, uh, it'll come as no surprise that the, the worst performers are uh, Bulgaria, Greece, Romania, uh, Hungary, Slovakia. Um, so there is a, um, so these, these are the countries which uh, have um, uh, very serious problems with corruption. For, for example, in Bulgaria ranks uh, lower than uh, Ghana or South Africa right. or the SOFO uh, on our index. So, um, you know, it's not the case that the EU is a squeaky clean no. zone and, and the corruption is... But why would a country, let's, let's be specific then, maybe you're talking yeah. about Bulgaria, why would a country like uh, Bulgaria still be so bad at getting its house in order? It's been a member of the EU now for almost mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, this time next year it'll be its 10th anniversary of membership, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and yet you're saying that the, it hasn't got its house in order at all. 
it doesn't peer pressure at some point kick into, kick into play and the, and the Bulgarians look around the European Council table and see all their colleagues pressing for reform and they're not listening? What's happening? Well, it's, it, there's even more than peer pressure. I mean, I, I think the, the problem is that uh, there, was, there was a lot of political pressure to get Bulgaria and Romania in the club uh, back in 2007. And uh, um, they even acknowledged that at the time that the job wasn't fully done. So what they did was they placed uh, Bulgaria and Romania under what's known as the cooperation and verification mechanism, which is a classic piece of Euro jargon. But basically it means that uh, they were under uh, there was a strict monitoring of, for example, uh, how corrupt the judiciary was in these countries, uh, um, how the rule of law was be operating in these countries. And that's been going on for uh, seven or eight years now. Uh, so there was an acknowledgement, incredibly, that uh, that they, uh, even though that Romania and Bulgaria hadn't, uh, well, were, were could join the club, uh, that they didn't fit uh, the criteria. They hadn't met all the criteria. But your 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 index, your annual index, you refer to uh, mm. of corruption perception index. Does that have any effect? Uh, you 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 identified very clearly, and you just said yourself, Bulgaria can come back to Bulgaria mm. is worse than some other part countries in other parts of the world which aren't democratic. But mm. so that, that suggests, frankly, that your report is not having the impact it might be having. Well, I mean, uh, our report can only highlight uh, the uh, the problem. Uh, it's up to the government ultimately to do something about it, and unfortunately, the EU has uh, the EU has very little leverage in this sort of situation. Uh, uh, anti-bribery legislation, uh, the enforcement of anti-bribery laws, is something that's uh, a member state competence. Ultimately, I mean, what the EU can do is it can uh, it, it can do the monitoring as we just discussed. Right. Uh, it does have some leverage with the funds, and in fact, uh, if you remember uh, the. Uh, structural investment funds were suspended for Bulgaria uh, and Romania a number of years ago, partly on suspicions of fraud and corruption. Yeah. Right. Um, so, the, but the, the ultimately the political will has to come from the from the from the country itself to, to clean up its act. Right. But but, uh, but the EU can do its part. Well, on that on that one, and maybe my last question to you, Carl. Yeah. Um, without stretching it too far, and again, you can put me back. If, yeah. My box. If I'm, I'm stretching it too far, in the broader security um, context, I mean, uh, we if we place corruption in that broader security context, and the issue, for example, of money laundering. And you said rightly that the EU has limited competence. It's a member state preserve. We're saying we're hearing that also about security measures generally, right? The EU can do yeah. so much. Member states have, at the end of the day, their own uh, sovereignty over these issues. But I just wonder now, given the uh, terrible events happening across Europe and elsewhere, that mm -hmm. there's this time maybe for there's, there's an opportunity as well for the member states to. Really that they have to work more together and to allow a certain element of EU cooperation in this broad area of corruption, or not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, what we need to realise is that corruption is essentially a cross-border crime. Um, you know, we've been talking about uh, corrupt public institutions in places like Bulgaria and Romania uh, and Eastern Europe, yeah? but uh, there's no doubt about it that uh, companies from so-called clean countries uh, like uh, Siemens in Germany, for example, or uh, the Finnish defense company Patria, have been very keen to take advantage of the integrity flaws in these countries, and there have been a number of, uh, of bribery scandals uh, in recent years which show that. Um, so there is a role, I think, for the EU to, uh, to encourage uh, more uh, cross-border investigation, cross-border prosecution. Uh, one of the things the EU has proposed is, is a European public prosecutor, 
All right. Uh, which would, uh, at the moment, will only investigate crimes against the EU finances, uh, but ultimately, in time, could become a bit like the Feds in the US. Uh, it would be uh, would be like a, an FBI for. Uh, for Europe. Okay, that's that's maybe a final final question because I know part of part of your job is to is to highlight the concerns and to document them and to and to, to uh, support them with evidence, which you're doing very clearly, very well. But I just wonder whether a well, you can answer this question either way. First, either how optimistic are you that things will change, even though they're quite gradually and never as fast as people would like, uh, or are we stuck with corruption as a kind of endemic thing? whatever we do, uh, and, 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 and or B, um, uh, do you have any specific ideas beyond this idea of the public prosecutor where you think the change could uh, be made and in a realistic way to address the issue of corruption? No, it's not hopeless at all. I mean, uh, you know, and there are uh, examples of countries who've uh, made the leap up. Uh, Estonia is a very good example. Uh, and I would say, so Estonia is a country which uh, has made a lot of progress by our standards, uh, by our corruption perceptions index, um, and it's done it. Uh, I would say largely by mobilising civil society. So, for example, in in, in Estonia, uh, when they're uh, uh, programming EU structural funds and programming EU funding, uh, they get civil society organisations both in the planning and the monitoring of that. Um, they also have a, a very good uh, electronic system for giving out government contracts. You know, so it's, there's full transparency about uh, uh, the way that government contracts are handed out, again, so that civil society and ordinary citizens can monitor that. And I think that's where the real promise lies. It's that bottom-up push from organized groups like Transparency International and yeah. other civil society organizations saying demanding accountability from governments uh, demanding increased transparency, and, and uh, that's where that's, that's where the ultimate uh, solution will come. Okay, Carl Dolan, thank you very much for your time. Mm -hmm.